Welcome to the Hospital Finance Podcast, your go-to source for information and insights that can help you stay ahead of the challenges impacting healthcare finance. And now, the host of the Hospital Finance Podcast, Michael Passanate. Hi, this is Mike Passanate. Welcome back to the award-winning Hospital Finance Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Michael Duke, author of The McPherson Principle. Michael has over 30 years of diverse experience and a record of accomplishment in leading people, programs, improving operational outcomes, and developing best management practices within the healthcare industry. He has led several successful engagements that demonstrated an ability to develop and execute executive level strategies. He has proven expertise in the areas of operations management, corporate performance management, and revenue cycle management. Michael is going to talk to us about his new book and offer some actionable advice on topics related to revenue cycle management, employee performance monitoring, and healthcare finance. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. So why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and uh, and give us an overview of what the McPherson Principle is all about. Okay, sure. Um, so a little bit about myself. I am now... Um, rounding after my 30th year in healthcare it's the only only industry i've ever known and and um and have played in but uh, have sat in a lot of the management seats um and by that i mean i've i've run it departments um you know i've run revenue cycle areas i've run operationally for for organizations but i've also um, provided a lot of guidance on those as well so through the course of my career have had a variety of consulting roles um, and, and guiding clients on things like uh, technology implementations, analytic deployment, uh, revenue cycle improvement initiatives. Um, so a, a, on the finance side, um, a lot of experience and on the operations side, pretty significant as well. But um, yeah, pretty, pretty excited um, on some of the things that I've been able to do and, and the, um, where I see the industry going. So that's fun. The McPherson principle is really taking some of the uh, lessons I've learned over the course of my career. I've had some great uh, leaders that, that I've been able to follow and learn from, and I wanted to encapsulate some of that, but then also kind of push it forward. Our industry tends to lag, as as anybody listening to this probably knows, um, from an innovation standpoint, and things are coming at us pretty fast nowadays with um, uh, you know uh, a lot of the automation through robotic process tools. Uh, we've got some um, really interesting analytics through some of the augmented analytic tools that are coming at us. And I wanted to take some of that plus um, some discussion around workflow. When we do need an, a human to interact with things, what does that really mean and how can we enhance that? And so trying to take a look at the technology, but also some of the best practices on um, how things should be done and and put that in a in a book that was more of a story instead of um you know straight up educational literature so uh, so that was the genesis and been thinking about it for a few years and of course with the um opportunity to work from home during the, the covid kind of break um i thought it was a great time to uh to finally put pen to paper yeah it's an interesting format you came up with and as um we talked a little bit before we began recording the podcast. You mentioned uh, this this idea that you know everybody kind of measures AR days and some of the typical benchmarks that we have in, in revenue cycle, but there are some other maybe best practices we can 
we can bring into this um, from from other 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 sectors, uh, and and really you know get get in tune with this automated automated uh, revenue cycle that we've been talking about. Yeah, and that, and that was a good push for it as well. So uh, going back, gosh, maybe twenty years or more uh, now, uh, I was exposed to a book called The Goal um, by Eli Goldratt. And it's a manufacturing environment, but it's a, a fictional story of a plant manager going through the the opportunity to evaluate how things are accomplished and and looking at it, you know, seeing what everybody else has seen, but but looking at it in a different way. And uh, that book has always re- resonated with me from a the concept of um, product throughput and and how do we enhance not just um, throughput of let's say a, a machine. Um, operated system, but also how do we improve employee and, and personnel throughput? So the human interaction with that. Um, so that's always been the back of my mind, and and the concept of the way um, that book was constructed again as more of a, it was educational and um, but also a storytelling exercise, and and that made it easy to absorb some of the the more critical concepts. And so I wanted to do the the same kind of format to make it an easy read. But also pass along primarily the the three concepts of um, process effectiveness, operational efficiencies, and employee performance. Because if if anybody's um, dealt with any consultants at any point in time, we we talk constantly about people, process, and technology, and and so I wanted to kind of take those three and mold them into potentially new metrics that we can use as an industry to look at the the same things we've been looking at forever but understand them uh, potentially in a new way to, to drive performance. And that's a great segue into uh, my next couple of questions, because I'd like to dig into those ratios and, and just put a little bit more meat on the bone there. So why don't you talk to us about the process effectiveness ratio? What is that? So process effectiveness is measuring how, how well things um, flow through the system. So an, an easy one that I think everyone would be able to digest is, is really around if I um, bring in a patient to a point of scheduling or I go to my physician's office or whatever it might be, from from that point of contact forward, how can I make that claim go through, for example, the, all of the things that go into making a claim and, and the submission without any hiccups at all? So no bill holds, no um, denials, no rejections, the things where a human being has to touch it. And if if my process is 100% effective in the definitions that I use, um, it measures how well work is being performed, but it also measures how well technology is enabling that process. Combine all that together, and we really get a, a measurement that um, is around the, um, back to a little bit on the Goldratt theory, the throughput of work activities that that have no error rate. And um, that's what the process effectiveness ratio is really about is um, the more we can keep that on a manageable level, the less delays we have in, in cash performance, the less write-offs we have to denials, and the less uh, costs we have in the, in the internal workings from an employee standpoint, um, all three factors which you know impact our, our financial uh, performance as an organization. Okay. And so um, sort of next in the sequence is the operational efficiency ratio. Why don't you tell us about that? Okay. So the, the, you know, a a nod back to the process effectiveness, that's how well things go through the system. The operational efficiency 
ratio. Um, the, the way I constructed it or why I constructed it, I guess, is really trying to understand the speed in which it goes through. So minimizing delays uh, for charge entry, minimizing um, uh, all the things that, uh, of course, we want. This has no impact on the care given to the to the patient, but really all the administrative steps that, that are required. How do we measure how quickly those are performed so that, again, it's more about uh, this is more related to the cash flow and the cost side. But the faster I can process those things and the faster in which I can get the payments received. So on the cash velocity, um, the quicker I resolve those accounts, the quicker I have more cash in the bank and, and those things. So the operational efficiency was around the speed of the activities or the process. The process effectiveness ratio that we just talked about is more around the quality um, kind of aspect of the work. And so rounding out that trio is the employee performance ratio. Absolutely. So everybody, um, you know, we, we keep trying to get to the point where we don't need uh, FTEs and RevCycle. Um, and, and that's just not going to happen. Now, can we minimize it? Absolutely. But when we do need a knowledge worker to, to perform a task, one, how do we elevate that task level so that it's um, has a has a higher contribution to the organization as opposed to just pushing paperwork around. And then how do I elevate their performance so that they can do more and and they do it much um, in, a, in a much better fashion? So the employee performance ratio uh, was constructed to try to understand a knowledge worker's uh, speed, so their productivity and their effectiveness or their quality. Um, you know the, the I remember years ago when I was first being trained as a consultant, uh, we would go through and audit 10 accounts or 20 accounts or whatever it might be for a, di a particular job function and try to score those. And, and of course, that's evolved a little bit with, with some of the tools available, but not a lot. And so the EPR was, was a way for me to try to say, you know what, I, I want to be able to look at 100% of someone's work from a productivity and a quality standpoint, how do we do that? And so the EPR was constructed to um, really put together, that's why it's performance, not productivity. It's really to understand how much they do and how well they do it. Excellent. So if we take all of that information and think about where we're at in revenue cycle today, what do you think are some of the keys to revenue cycle performance improvement? The biggest, and well, not the biggest, maybe, but it's really um, leveraging some of the, the innovative technologies that are out there. So I'll step back a couple years. You know, we've had claim status thing through EDI transactions and those things, but um, the, we've really got to have some automation throughout the internally throughout the process as well as externally. And so automation is a key innovation. Um, one of the things that, that I've been um, exploring with for the last, I don't know, 18, 24 months is really around taking analytics and applying that to the automation function. So if I can start uh, using machine learning to determine when Mike Duke performs a task that is successful, uh, whatever it might be. So I, I fix a claim, I rebuild it, or whatever the steps might be. Well, how can I then learn from that analytically and then apply that to an automation component so that Mike Duke doesn't have to do that task any longer? 
And so those are some of the things that I think are, are um, slightly being touched on now. You, you read a lot about it um, around the um, artificial intelligence and those things and machine learning. But I really, at least my client base, I don't see them applying that um, as much as they really could and push the envelope. And so using that innovation, but then the flip side of that is I really um, and, and uh, adamant around the augmented analytics piece. So we, we need to leverage um, proper visualization techniques. There are, there are methods in which the human brain consumes information. And it's unfortunately, um, for most analytic tools, it's not in large table sets. It's not in rows and columns. It's in pictures. Uh, we, we, that's why um, you, uh, you know, 2,000 years ago, 200,000 years ago, whatever it might be, um, we were drawn on caves, um, and we weren't drawing numbers. We were drawing animals and pictures of what happened. And, and the human brain absorbs more information through a picture than any other way. And so can we construct revenue cycle analytics that allow us to see things very quickly and make decisions very quickly? So that's that's another big piece of it, along with the machine learning and automation that I, I just feel like have to be front and center uh, over the next couple of years if we're going to make any major strides. Absolutely. Um, when you think about operational performance, Michael, what are some techniques uh, that providers can use to improve operational performance? Uh, um, one of the things, and, and this is not a, um, I'm not trying to bust on the, the you know, large EMRs that are out there now. But some of the things that we fail in, I think, as an industry is the definition of, of workflow. Um, again, the, where the hang, most of the hangups come from is either through human error, which is natural. We, we make mistakes every day. That's why we're human. But when I do need to have someone involved in work, is it the most valuable thing they can do? And that's one of the things I talk about in the book as well, is the next most valuable activity. We have, um, I, I can list you year after year after year of, of examples where um, people do the easiest thing. And not, you know, nobody goes to work trying to, to, do the, to mess up or not provide value. But there's also days where you're just having a rough day, so you'll do the next easiest task. And that's not always the best thing for the organization. And so building tool sets that allow um, technology driven by management business rules that assign the next most valuable activity for someone, I, I think is, is a concept that is, can be deployed today and, and advantages are, are, can clearly be made. And so setting up a, a workflow situation um, instead of work queue situations, which, which is what unfortunately we have now. And, and I, I might get a lot of pushback on that, but, um, I have clients that have every tool, every EMR out there, and they'll have 20,000 work queues. That's not a workflow system. And so understanding the difference between true workflow, which takes data, which takes human input, input and is updated constantly to adjust on where things should go and who should be working on them, as compared to work queues, I think is something that should be explored by almost every organization that, that has a revenue cycle function. A very interesting perspective there, Michael. Um, last question for you. You know, healthcare organizations generally are, you know, they, they, they do everything they can 
to improve their financial performance, it seems. There's all kinds of initiatives and technology and um, just lots of, of mind share put behind that. How likely is it that you th- that most healthcare organizations can improve financial performance realistically going forward using some of these new techniques? Um, you know, it's, it's tough because because everybody thinks they've already done all the, the major rev cycle improvement that, that they can make. And maybe there's a tweak here, maybe there's a tweak there. I, or uh, I talked to a lot of clients and they, um, oh, we just fixed that. So we're going to wait 18 months to see the results, which is which is mind boggling to me because I should be able to tell you in about three weeks whether, you, <laughs> whether you've made the right improvements or at least on the right track. But I, I personally believe that almost every organization still has um, pretty large improvements. And, and the reason being, and why I think that is that um, I, um, some of the points I made earlier, I don't think we, we are looking at the business any differently for the most part than we've looked at it for the last 20 years. Um, I don't think we're really pushing the envelope on innovation to make dramatic improvements. And I don't think um and and this is no this again this, this is no criticism. It's where you're where you're from, where you've grown, and what you've seen. There's a lot of people in healthcare management that that's what they've seen, and they haven't explored other solutions or taken a, a step outside of the healthcare box. You know, I, I mentioned that I was. I'll get back to this, but I'll, a little rabbit hole here. But I mentioned I've been in healthcare for 30 years, but I spent a tremendous, tremendous amount of time um, in manufacturing with friends of mine that uh, that I've gone to school with and those things. And I said, I just want to see it. Talk to me about your technology. Talk about how you monitor process. And one of the tools that I've built um, over the last couple of years around analytics was because I was talking to a, a great friend of mine. He's actually the um, one of the dedications in the book, but he, he and I were having lunch and, and he build, used to build the, uh, the large elevator silos for skyscrapers and i said how do you understand when things are going to break down and he said we we know when parts are going to fail before they fail i said okay talk to me about that because i want to know when revenue cycle processes are going to break down before they become problematic and we lose money and so he talked about all these um control failure points that they measure every time an elevator goes up and down and it was you know, I've been in a million elevators. I never would have thought of all the sensors they have on these things. And I thought, goodness, if we could do that with RevCycle, man, we'd, we'd be so much farther ahead of the game. And so there was th- that's coming back to your question now. It's, I believe that management in healthcare is um, you're, a lot of times you're promoted from within or you, you might go from organization to organization, but you're seeing the same things you've always seen. And that's one of the things that I would challenge healthcare uh, leaders, uh, particularly around RevCycle, is step out a little bit and um, go see some other stuff and other industries and how they're solving problems around process and technology and employee performance. And there'll be some things there that if, I, if we apply the principles, not exactly, but if we apply those principles, there's still large gains to be made um, operationally and financially for healthcare organizations. Yeah, really good advice. I think we see in healthcare that it feels like we're always playing catch up, and to some extent, you see that now on the on the uh, the patient experience side, for instance, and you know people wanting to interact uh, through apps and, and and other other kinds of technology that in the consumer world is sort of taken for granted, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Well, a lot, a lot more to come in healthcare. Great advice today, Michael. If someone wanted to get a copy of your book or find out more about you, where can they go? 
Um, so there's there's a couple ways. Um, the McPherson Principle is available on Amazon. So um, if you just search for it, and again, it's M-C-P-H-E-R-S-O-N Principle, um, it should come up. Um, there's also a McPhersonPrinciple.com website that you can find it. Um, and then uh, um, really those are the two good locations. You can contact me through either one of those. Um, I'm also available at mduke at mcphersonprincipal.com. Um, but yeah, would, would, if anybody's interested, I'd, I'd love to chat about it. It's something I think about every day and uh, I'm pretty excited about getting the book out. Excellent. Well, much luck with it. And uh, thanks for coming by the podcast today, Michael. Okay. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. If you have a topic that you'd like us to discuss on the Hospital Finance Podcast, or if you'd like to be a guest, drop us a line at update at Bessler.com. This concludes today's episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. For show notes and additional resources to help you protect and enhance revenue at your hospital, visit Bessler.com forward slash podcasts. The Hospital Finance Podcast is a production of Bessler. Smart about revenue, tenacious about results.